This episode has been brought to you by Always Discreet. Head to alwaysdiscreet.com.au to learn more about bladder leak tips, management, and incredible bladder leak protection. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks for joining me today, everyone. I'm excited because I got to chat to a fellow Canadian. I miss the accent. I know technically I still have one, but I don't hear it. Um, So today I'm talking to Anita Lambert. She is going to discuss preparation for labor, especially all of the information on preparing and coaching women to push during stage two labor, where pelvic floor and breathing play a role and how physiotherapists can help with this. If you don't know who she is, she's a fellow Canadian. Um, Obviously, I've already said that. She's a registered pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on prenatal birth prep and postpartum care. She's one of the few physiotherapists in Canada to have completed physio doula training, which blends physiotherapy expertise with birth doula support and now assists this professional course taught in Canada. You should recognize her voice if you've ever heard of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts in this space, and she co-hosts that with Jesse Mundell. She um, has been doing that podcast for quite a while now. It's great information for anybody going through pregnancy and beyond or treating women in that space. She's also created Bump to Birth, which is an online course that guides people step-by-step to prepare themselves, their pelvic floor, and their core for birth. Before we get into it, um, today is sometime in February, beginning of February 2021, and I just wanted to let you know a couple um, symposiums and lectures that are coming up. I am extremely honored to be invited to do a 20-minute lecture for IUGA, so the International Urogynecological Association. They have a very cool symposium coming up. It is on March 13th, 14th. Um, I think it's in that time zone, UTC. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can check it out. It is an international symposium on a multidisciplinary approach to the prevention and management of pelvic floor dysfunction. It's online. It's over two days. There are brilliant speakers um, and lectures. Uh, I can't, yeah, I'm just excited to be involved, but it will be really good. So you will have to check that out. Um, And then I'm doing a more of an in-depth two-hour talk um, on strength training and the female pelvic floor for um, all physiotherapists. And I think I'm pretty sure it's open to anybody in this space. It's run by a company called Smart Education, and they are out of Brussels. So it's actually on February 23rd, 
12 p.m. Brussels time, um, but it's about in Brisbane, I think it's 9 p.m. There's information, I'll put in a link in the show notes, but also if you check out the Instagram page, which is at Lori Forner, if you're in Australia there, you just have to email them to work things out, but it's called a power talk. Um, and if you're a patron, I talked a little bit more in depth about some things that I will cover. Um, but it was really fun putting these things together. Uh, that's a live talk. So that one will be great because I'll present it live and then there's actually really good chat afterwards. So I'll put links for all of those in the show notes, check them out. Otherwise today, please sit back and enjoy this fabulous conversation with Anita and myself. Let's then talk about the second <laughs> stage of labor. Tell me okay. about it. Perfect. So second stage is after you've gone through um, early and active labor. It's really when you've gotten to 10 centimeters of dilation and you're 100% effaced. So this refers to um, the cervix. So people often have heard of dilation. Um, and that's really kind of the opening of the cervix. And then effacement refers to softening of the cervix, which doesn't often get talked about. Um, and I find a good way I talk about this with clients is if you think of like a turtleneck, um, because some people think, you know, the cervix, all of a sudden it just opens and disappears and it softens and opens. But really the cervix, if you think of like your head going through a turtleneck, that's really what's happening. So it's more of that it is kind of opening and drawing upwards um, and that's how it is opening and softening so that is what you're getting to once you get into the second stage of labor so you're 10 centimeters dilated 100% effaced um, and then it's also helpful to know too about um, the baby there's different stations that the baby is in so kind of a rough overview is um, like minus three would be above the ischial spines and then zero station baby is at the ischial spines. And then as you go down and then you get to plus three and then baby is starting to crown and be born. So head of it, the baby. I, exactly. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, and it's just, I find it's helpful for people to even hear about those different things. And you can even ask your care provider um, about that. Cause again, I find dilation is the only thing talked about, but it can be frustrating if you're the person in labor and, you know, all you get told is about dilation and things aren't changing. And so maybe you think things aren't progressing, but really if like, if effacement is happening and the stage of the baby is changing, like that is progress. So knowing those three things I find um, is quite helpful. And then I know, you know, talking about the pelvis and positioning, there's like the pelvic inlet, um, so as baby enters the pelvis and really it's the widest um, from left to right. And then as baby descends further, the mid pelvis, it's actually the widest diagonal. And then once baby gets to the pelvic outlet before they're born, it's actually the widest front to back. So it's really interesting actually how the baby has to rotate to get into the pelvis. And through this second stage of labor, there's actually a lot of work that baby is doing and you're doing as well and your uterus is doing um, that again, it doesn't get talked about. I think pushing just kind of gets like brushed over. A lot of the earlier part of labor gets talked about and then you get told, okay, you're going to push your baby out, but there's actually a lot to it. I don't know if you know, 
Um, but when, so that's really interesting with those different inlets, which makes sense because we know, I knew that babies had to turn. I don't know why. Um, but I, oh, I don't know, but I find that like 95% of people will have a weakness on the right side and I'm blaming it because of the way the baby rotates. Would that Mm. make sense? Would there be like more of a pull on one side because of the direction that it's rotating or uh, like putting position aside that the mother might be in and a hundred other factors? Yeah. And do you, and are you referring to like in pregnancy or after they give birth? Afterwards. Afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be, what's really interesting is yeah. When, I mean, there's so many things happening in terms of like baby descending and then they actually have to flex and tuck their chin. And then they actually, as they get further down and towards the pelvic floor, they actually have to rotate again and then extend to get under the pubic bone and rotate again. There's quite a few different Um, They call them cardinal movements the baby is going through. And when we look at the uterus, the uterus isn't symmetrical. So looking at even optimal position for baby to kind of enter the pelvis in, um, a company called, are you familiar with spinning babies? Have you heard of spinning babies? I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an organization in the U.S. started by a midwife, um, Gail Tully, and she kind of talks about Um, position of baby and looking at the uterus and that as well so if baby kind of enters more on the left side because of the asymmetrical shape of the uterus that potentially could be more optimal for them to tuck their chin to get into the pelvis whereas if they enter on the right potentially that could be different and then even looking at op or occiput posterior babies if babies rotate and are facing forward or sunny side up then it's a lot harder, again, for them to tuck their chin and get under the pubic bone. So seeing that could definitely be a possibility because the baby is not exactly, they're not going just symmetrically through someone's pelvis. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if they do a lot of the work, then why do we have to do any What are, what are we doing? Why do we yeah. have to do anything in stage two? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. And I talk about it as like, it's, it's work for the birthing person and the baby. And that's why, you know, movement during labor earlier in labor is really important to help, you know, open the pelvis at different angles. Because as you can see, like the baby has to do a lot of rotating and moving in the pelvis. Um, and that also goes with even, when we get into that second stage of labor, finding positions that are going to be more optimal to open the pelvic outlet um, to help baby be born and different things like we might talk about a bit later about um, like, I love the peanut ball, which is amazing. If you have an epidural using that during labor and even during pushing with unmedicated or unmedicated birth. Um, But yeah, it really is both um, the baby and the birthing person is doing work Um, But with that second stage, there's actually two parts to it. There's a passive stage and an active stage. So the passive is um, when you get to 10 centimeters, kind of the time before you actually actively start pushing. And so there's kind of different ideas around this. There's delayed pushing, there's immediate pushing. So as you, you know, if your care provider checks and you're 10 centimeters dilated, they might have you push right away. So that'd be immediate pushing. Um, Other times, giving you that time, it's called laboring down, where your uterus is still working, your baby is working to move down within the birth canal, 
but it's passive. So you're not actually actively pushing during that part. Um, and, you know, having that laboring downtime could actually help decrease the amount of active pushing you do, you do which could have benefits as well. Um, so there is work going on. Even that passive part, it's really interesting. Some people call it the rest and be thankful stage. Um, because your body, sometimes it's almost like you're getting a rest. Some people even take a nap, which sounds you know, that would be the last thing you think would happen at that point in labor. But sometimes it's your body, this idea of conserving energy while baby is actually rotating and passively moving down before that spontaneous urge to push um, can happen when baby is lower down. So that spontaneous urge to push doesn't usually happen in that passive phase? Um, not typically, and everyone's going to be different. So some people at 10 centimeters won't get that urge to push. Um, it really will, it'll depend on the person and position of baby. Um, and some people it's one to two hours that they might be going through that passive, um, that passive phase of the second stage. So then they get on to the active phase. And do we have a certain amount of time that this should go on for or limits as to when it might start to cause some problems? Mm -hmm. So that is something. And I find when you look at the research, there is various research around it. And care providers will be different in terms of the amount of time they feel is appropriate um, with if you have an epidural or if you don't. So depending on and depending if it's your first or subsequent birth, it'll be between this two or three hour mark um, that they'll feel uh, that second stage of labor that they would be comfortable with that happening. Um, as it goes beyond that, then they may be talking about other interventions coming into play. Um, but even with laboring down, it does differ between care providers. It differs even I've, like between uh, where you live, kind of the idea around that. Um, and then also the medical side too, right? Like they're going to be checking how you're doing, how baby's doing. Um, so if medically everything is going well, laboring down may be more of an option. Um, but I always tell people like all these things we're talking about, you know, talk to your care provider in prenatal appointments, like ask questions ahead of time, ask them, you know, even about like pushing positions. Um, and there's a difference between a pushing position and position that they will be quote unquote, okay, baby being born in. So asking those questions, asking about laboring down about when they would uh, possibly suggest interventions like forceps, vacuum, or a cesarean birth. Because I find knowing this information ahead of time will allow you to go into birth feeling a little bit more prepared, um, more aware of when things might come into play, and just the timing of things. So it might, you know, put you at a little bit more ease being more prepared in that way. So other than the education side of knowing what's going to happen and how long things might take, what kind of things can we then help people with in that second stage and especially as physios? So if we can, I, I don't know enough about what other professions other than doctors kind of have a role in and midwives, but this is where I go, okay, well, you know, how do physios fit into this as well? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. Um, so I find educating about different birth positions is really key. And I always talk to people about like, 
I talk to clients, you know, what are your preferences? We talked about this earlier on. Some people are like, I for sure want an epidural, like sign me up as soon as I get admitted. Other people are like, that's the last thing I want. And everyone can have their own preferences. I do think as a physio though, it is very helpful to prepare people for all of the options because you don't really know what's going to happen. And even if you're like, sign me up for the epidural, you don't know if it's going to be available. And also earlier in labor, like people do need to go through labor until they can get one. So it's the same with pushing, you know, educate on different uh, pushing position options with or without an epidural. Um, and it really is going to come down to the support as well. So for example, a position like hands and knees is fantastic to open the pelvic outlet. It's great for pushing and for birth. And oftentimes it can be almost an intuitive position that people go to if they're not um, coached to go to another position. However, with an epidural, it's going to depend on the support. So it's going to depend how much feeling you have, how many people, you know, do you have someone on either side of you for support? So I find with an epidural, it may be less likely that that could be an option, but it could be depending again on care provider and circumstance. Um, but I love going through sideline with, um, with clients because even the research shows with sideline position with an epidural, it can decrease your risk of, of tearing. Um, and it's nice because it is a gravity neutral position. So it's not like you're pushing baby up a hill. Gravity isn't necessarily helping you, but it is a flexible sacrum position. So the sacrum and tailbone have more space to move out of the way. Um, you can also use a peanut ball. Do you, have you seen a peanut ball where you, like, do they have them? Where I've you seen are? it on your Instagram. Your oh, <laughs> that's awesome. I love the peanut ball. I think it's like a brilliant um, invention. And yeah, really with the research around it, lots of great uses during labor. So earlier on um, to really help, quote unquote, keep the pelvis open in different positions. So as we talked about with baby moving down um, and rotating, you can use the peanut ball in different ways to actually help promote that, especially if someone is in bed, for example, with an epidural and can't get out of bed. Um, but you can use it unmedicated as well if you need to rest. But with pushing that sideline position, I love it because you can put it um, between your legs, keeping your legs parallel and almost like hug the, the peanut ball. So then you're, you can rest your top leg. So it's not a lot of extra work for you or someone else to hold your leg. Um, so I love sideline and teaching that regardless of epidural or not. Um, and then I think also to even talking about position of the femurs. So more of an external rotation, even though that's quite a traditional position for birthing, it actually can close the pelvic outlet. Whereas with parallel or a bit of an internal rotation, it can actually give a little bit more space with the pelvic outlet. So even educating about that, because if someone is birthing on their back, if that's where they want to be, if circumstances are that is what is happening, um, they can still even take that, um, take those suggestions and use that in any birth position, hands and knees, sideline, on your back, it doesn't matter. Um, so I think really as physios, our role should be giving people options. Um, and letting them know too, like there are going to be various factors involved of why they birth in a certain position. 
when we look at research, ultimately it should be, the person should be able to push how and in what position they want to push. That really is the best outcome, but there's going to be so many factors in why that happens um, in what position they're in. So I think, you know, there is a lot of talk of don't ever give birth on your back. Like it's the worst position. I honestly don't feel like that really serves our clients because over 90% of people in North America give birth on their back. And again, it happens for a variety of reasons. And some people that is their choice. That's where they want to be. And so I think just empowering clients with options, um, regardless of the position, knowing maybe some potential pros and cons of different positions um, and you know, talking to them about advocating for what, um, what position they want, teaching their partner about that too. I find as physios, we can really do a lot with educating partners. Um, and so I think it's like a combination of those things can really help with that second stage. Um, and then even talking about just, um, not techniques on pushing, but I find I will teach a bit about the breathing and where to send the air um, with that. So I don't know if you want to go, if you want me to go into that or we can go Yes, right yeah. before we go into that, with the peanut <laughs> yeah. ball, are you saying yes. that that is a active stage and birthing position? So you could be sod lying, yeah. hugging a peanut ball and push a baby out at the yes. same time. Yes. Yeah. I've had a number of clients do that with an epidural and actually without an epidural because um, the position itself is called a tuck. So it's like you're in a squat position and tucked, but I'm not the biggest fan of that wording because when you think of tuck, you think of really posterior pelvic tilt, like really tucking under and with the pelvic outlet, like having the back be a little bit more lengthened or extended, um, which for for a lot of people that can be like a natural as baby is being born, this extension can happen within the back. Um, so that might be more what actually happens, but yeah, hugging it in a lot of clients find it just feels really good to push, um, in that position. And then I'll also teach clients like their partner to hold their top leg in more of kind of a parallel position or a slight internal rotation, which does the same thing. The peanut ball is just kind of nice because then it's not extra work for, um, for their partner. And it just, yeah, it can be comfortable for the birthing person. And you have pictures of these positions, don't you? I do. Yeah. I, um, I, I took the, yeah, they're on Instagram and they're in my online course. And I talk to, um, I show clients them just because I think, you know, pictures are just so helpful. And I think it goes back to what we do, right, Lori? Like as pelvic physios, um, the pelvic floor is this like mysterious group of muscles inside our pelvis that people can't see or visualize. So I think it even stems from that, that I find when it comes to birth, the more visuals and demos and things you can do to help people really understand positioning just really empowers them for when they go into labor. Everyone should know this by now. As a physiotherapist, I do not believe in telling women with urinary incontinence just to wear a pad or a liner and keep pushing through. I also don't believe that they have to stop doing the exercise and activities that they love forever in order to manage it. I know how important pelvic floor exercises are. I know how important modifications to risk factors are. And I know how important education is in helping to treat urinary incontinence. 
but I also know how extremely important promoting physical activity is. We have the highest quality evidence demonstrating that physiotherapists can greatly improve or often cure incontinence, but I also know that this management takes time and for some women, while it might improve their leaking by 80%, sometimes they will still have leaking or there will be a subset of women that we can't help enough. This is why I feel incontinence pads and liners still have a place and I am honored to be asked to partner up with Always Discreet to help break the stigma around incontinence, empower and support women to start conversations about bladder leakage, provide the best information on management and also provide options to decrease embarrassing accidents that they may continue to have. So follow the hashtag WeAlwaysGotYou which is we, W-E-E, join in on the conversation and as professionals continue to educate women about how we can help. Let's talk about the pushing part of things. Um, What, is there anything specific that they should be doing or shouldn't be doing? And again, like as physios, how do we help that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, something in terms of people may have heard of spontaneous versus coach pushing. And this refers to spontaneous is when your body gets this natural urge to push. So this often happens with something called the fetal ejection reflex. So when the baby gets low enough, typically to um, where the pelvic floor is, uh, then basically your uterus will start pushing the baby out. It's a very uh, involuntary, technically a reflex. Um, You're bearing down. It's hard to kind of stop it. You may even need some help at the end as baby's being born because you might want to push really aggressively the baby out at the end because it's such a strong reflex. Um, But panting can actually be helpful and that can decrease the risk of tearing. Um, Coached refers to closed glottis pushing. So that's where you might see a lot of times TV or movies, this big breath in hold your breath, someone's counting to 10 to like push down as hard as you possibly can. And then they'll let you do a quick breath and then do it again. And it's just this constant counting to 10, holding your breath and bearing down. Um, And that is more of kind of the traditional way of pushing. So I think it's helpful to educate clients about both. With spontaneous pushing, it tends to be more natural. So when they've looked at people giving birth and without coaching or without you know, giving specifics, most people will not hold their breath for 10, 10 seconds is quite a long time. They might hold their breath for a brief time, but it's very rare that it will be 10 seconds that they're doing that. So it's a little bit more of a natural way um, that people will do it. And then looking at the research, it does differ. There is some that, you know, shows that it could be more um, intact perineum. Um, and less likely to have episiotomies or more severe tears with spontaneous pushing. Okay, there's, yeah, not the yeah, coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's various research out there. So there is some that shows there is no difference, and there's some that shows that there is a difference. Um, but kind of looking at when we look at like the breathing and the, you know, how much the pelvic floor naturally is stretching already um, as baby is being born and then adding that extra pressure from the closed glottis pushing. When we kind of look at the anatomy and the mechanics of that, we can see how, yeah, that potentially could put more stress on the pelvic floor and pelvic organs. Um, And even the timing. So even when we look at coach versus um, spontaneous pushing, that with coach pushing, 
the, you know, how we talked about the active and passive, or the passive and active second stage of labor, the entire um, amount of time can be less with coach pushing. However, with spontaneous, the active phase is shorter. So the overall stage will be longer with spontaneous, but the active part is shorter. And so we could see how that could be beneficial as well. Um, if there's a medical reason baby needs to get out faster, then coach, that might be a time that coach pushing may be something to be doing because it will get the baby out a bit faster. So it's it's really one of those things, again, kind of weighing the pros and cons in, you know, actual labor and pushing of what is going on, of what is the best option. And even with coached pushing, you could still almost do an open glottis with it, right? You could still have the air, you know, that you're not holding your breath for as long. It just be might be more of a directed way of pushing with that. Does everyone have a spontaneous pushing reflex sensation? So it's interesting. So when baby gets low enough, a lot of people do. The I think where it comes into the factor is with an epidural. Um, it can still happen. It just may not potentially be as um, as intense or as um, the person may not be as aware of this bearing down happen. But I would say like clinically, when I talk to clients, um, even with an epidural, they often will say, especially near the end, they'll feel this, um, this more intense pressure happening at that point. Um, so it may not feel the same with an epidural versus if you didn't have an epidural. So with the coaching, are there better ways or different ways that they could be coached other than that one that you're talking about? Yeah. So that's what it seems like if, um, when I talk about pushing with clients, I'll have them. And even with an epidural, I've had clients find this really helpful is this idea as you inhale, you're thinking of the pelvic floor opening. I usually use a visual of like a flower bloom opening. Um, as they exhale, they can let some air out of their mouth. So that'd be more of like, there is open glottis involved with that. But thinking of sending the air down towards their perineum. And so sending the air down towards that and then taking another breath in, that inhale to open, exhale, send the air down. So that could be a way that even if there is some directed pushing involved, they could still do the open glottis version and having an idea of where to send the air could be could be helpful. And so I'll often teach clients about that. And even when they're doing, um, when we talk about perineal massage, I'll talk to them about whether they're doing it or their partner is doing it, you know, put a thumb on your perineum or a partner to do that. And you could even do some of these, I wouldn't say do a ton of practice pushes, but even just to get this idea of where to send the air, that inhale to open as you exhale, send the air to the perineum and their partner, then will feel almost a little bit of like a bulge happening in that area. And it feels very different than pushing if you're constipated or having straining with a bowel movement. Because often with pushing, that's what people will get told, like push like you're having a bowel movement. Um, and I know, Lori, we're on the same page as like with pelvic physios, we teach all the time. We actually don't want to strain with bowel movements. We want to find, you know, using a squatty potty, finding different ways using your breath so that you're not straining with a bowel movement because that actually helps our pelvic floor. So the same with this kind of pushing, if we can kind of learn how to breathe and where to send the air, even if someone needs some directed pushing, that I find has actually been really helpful. Mm -hmm. What about 
with regards to, you touched it a little bit about pelvic mm-hmm. floor. So how mm-hmm. do you bring pelvic floor? Like we know the pelvic floor needs to relax. And obviously mm-hmm. many people have never thought about their pelvic floor and what's supposed to happen happens. Yeah. But we also see a lot of people who do struggle with relaxation to begin with. Um, so are there any extra things that you get women to think about with regards to their pelvic floor, especially coming into that second stage and the pushing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is something I go over with clients, um, in pregnancy. And like you said, like if there's some people who are coming to us with vaginismus or dyspareunia or, you know, anything that, you know, we do notice they tend to be more on, um, have pelvic floor tension is we're already starting to work on that within pregnancy. So I typically use this flower bloom visual. I find for most clients, it works. Sometimes for some clients, it's just breathing. Any other cue is too much and throws them off. Um, But I find that the flower bloom can work for a lot of people. So that's the idea of this like inhale, thinking of a flower blooming out of the vaginal opening as you exhale, keeping it open. And so internally we can check this and, you know, checking that they're able to inhale, relax, exhale, stay relaxed. It can really help with any of those, um, pelvic pain, uh, if that's part of their pelvic pain symptoms. Um, And even if it's not, like I'll still have them do their pelvic floor muscle training. We bring it all the breath work, bring it into exercise, but I will teach this within their third trimester and have them practice with some prenatal yoga postures that they enjoy um, or in labor positions. So I just find it really helpful if they can learn to do this inhale open, exhale, keep the pelvic floor open. Um in different positions that may come up during labor. And then with uh, perineal massage, I do teach about using that breath with it because again, it's gonna help them learn to connect to relaxing the pelvic floor, especially when you get that stingy and comfortable sensation, which during crowning can happen. So perineal massage, I look at it more, not so much as like stretching the muscles, it's more about, you know, connecting, having this awareness to the pelvic floor, potentially working on some tension through breath work um, with it. So that's typically where it will come into play. Um, and depending, like I said, if they have pelvic floor tension is a component of symptoms, they'll be starting this much earlier. But by third trimester, I would say all of my prenatal clients have learned this um, and are incorporating it to some degree. So then when they get to labor, it is not something completely new for their mind or their body. So you mentioned perineal massage and the breathing. Do you um, teach them to do it themselves, their partners, or do you use any devices? Mm -hmm. So I, I teach them um, I, in the third trimester, I do have like a longer labor prep session. We are talking about stuff in other sessions, but one specifically, and their partner is welcome to sit in on that. So virtually or in person. Um, and so I'll teach both of them because I remember being 35 weeks pregnant. I don't know about you, Lori, but like to reach there at that point is kind of challenging. Um, so oftentimes it can be helpful for partners to do it if both people feel like that would be helpful. And I do find it works well, um, because then the pregnant person can then just focus on the breath, the relaxation. Um, and I tell them they're giving their partner feedback in terms of like pressure. Um, and I also tell them to like, 
Yes, the research and actually this year there was a systematic review that came out that was that showed a lot of benefits. So in terms of um, decreasing um, like shorter second stage of labor um, and postpartum like decreased risk of anal incontinence as well as perineal pain um, and it decreases the risk of severe tearing and episiotomy. So a lot of benefits. So I do teach it, but similar to kind of like with the pushing positions we talk about, I tell people like if you try this yourself or your partner does it and it's just not working, like it's super uncomfortable and you just feel like it's not working, to not be super concerned that this means you're going to tear or you're going to have an episiotomy, that this is just something, yes, it could be helpful if it's possible, but to not get super frustrated if you if you can't do it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I will teach both of them um, how to do it and then they can decide uh, kind of if if that kind of works for them to do. Do you feel yeah. like you are stretching the skin tissue and muscles or desensitizing them so they learn how to relax when something's uncomfortable or both? Yeah, I would say number two. I would say the second that that's more about desensitizing, you know, preparing your mind for that and knowing how to connect and relax to pressure in that area. Um, and I find this especially helpful for, because um, the research doesn't look at like the mental prep, right? Like they look at kind of more the physical side, but I find especially for my clients who are having a subsequent birth, if they had, let's say, fourth degree tearing, or they have a lot of kind of stress or anxiety around that phase again, I find this really mentally helps them feel more prepared, feel more confident going in knowing, okay, I've put pressure on that area myself. I know how to breathe through this. I know how to connect and relax. Um, so I even find in that respect, it's quite helpful versus, yeah, I don't really talk about it, about stretching the muscles, more about desensitizing and just understanding how to relax that area. Do you ever use anything like the epino? Um, yeah, so I actually did with my first and it's no longer available in Canada. Um, I forget when that happened. That was maybe a year or two ago. Um, it's just not available here anymore. Um, there is something called the Kegel release curve. It's, it looks kind of like that a wand. thing looks massive. <laughs> it's, I actually I've seen know. it on like Instagram posts yeah. and I'm like, that is the scariest looking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's actually a physio I used to work with who, and she went into pelvic health and she created it. Um, it's something that like that could be useful because again, you could do it yourself. Um, and because, uh, of it being made of that material, you can actually, um, like warm it up or make it cooler, that kind of thing. Um, so there, that could be an option as well. Um, yeah, I'd say those would be like the, the main ones. The Epino, I don't even know, maybe in Europe it might be available. Um, but I do think the biggest thing, like even without using things or like using other devices, and if people can't do perineal massage, like even like set practicing that breath and using it with different prenatal yoga postures, I find really to be quite beneficial with that. Now, I know every country is different and all health practitioners are different, but do you find you get, like, do you find other health professionals like midwives who are in this role um, and maybe even sometimes doctors, are they okay with physios doing this? Are some not okay? Like, 
How do we fit into this space? Yeah. And do you mean in terms of like in the birthing room or more of the prep side? Prep side. Prep yeah. side. Yeah. Um, I would say it, it really does depend. Um, I think it depends on the care provider. I feel very lucky. I have a number in this area who are um, very pro pelvic health in both pregnancy and postpartum. Um, and I think they've seen the benefits of it too. And they hear from, from their patients Um not only does it help with pelvic floor symptoms and pelvic girdle pain and so many issues in pregnancy that people just get told, well, this is just kind of a part of it. And there are still care providers all over that do say like, oh, you've got pelvic pain, you're leaking like, it, you're, well, you're pregnant. So that's the way it is. Um, but there are so many who are just like, no, actually, like pelvic physio could be really helpful. Um, and I find too, especially... I've really appreciated when, you know, care providers learn that their patients have, whether vaginismus, dyspareunia, any sort of pelvic pain, like they're already thinking like, okay, so what can I do to help this patient go into labor? And if they're already having that pain, like that's not going to be helpful when it comes to labor. So even that, I think that they're thinking more about, okay, pelvic physio, and they've seen how much it could be helpful. So I would agree, it does really depend where you are, it depends on the care providers. Um, and I wouldn't even say it's it's like a, a midwife doctor, you know, distinction, because I think within both sides, there are care providers who are more um, on board versus others. So if people want to learn more resources about how to prepare for stage two themselves or even health professionals to learn more about how they can help their patients, mm -hmm. any places that they can go, you yeah, have something. I do. Yeah. So I do have um, an online course called Bump to Birth, um, and it's it's specifically to prepare you, your pelvic floor and core for birth, um, and does have early postpartum recovery, so you get a head start on that. Um, I have had professionals go through it as well, so I've had um, doulas and fitness um, professionals and physios go through it, and then also um, pregnant people go through it. Um, so I love that just because it then... I had a lot of people asking who couldn't necessarily see me, could I create something? So it's accessible for anyone around the world, which is like super exciting. So it's been wonderful having people um, go through that. And yeah, seeing, you know, pelvic physio, if there are any pelvic physios uh, where you live. And I know right now with what is going on, not everyone is seen in person. There might be a virtual options, which can still be extremely, extremely helpful. Um, so I think if, you know, people getting to know their pelvic floor more and then understanding more about how we talked about different positions and just all the, the benefits that can really help to get to know these muscles and your breath and connecting to this and how much it can actually help with your birth. Oh, that's so cool. Is there anything else that you want to add? Cause I thought that was great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, oh, could I add one little thing about minimizing yes. tearing? please. Um, cause I find this is probably one of the, the most common things. And just, um, I like looking at the research and I know you're a research uh, geek as well, in terms of looking at kind of what, what we really see. And so, you know, there are some things, again, I talked a bit about, um, position, birth position that, that, that may help with decreasing tearing, but also things like panting, 
as the baby's crowning can actually be quite helpful to kind of slow down basically the baby's exit um, can be quite helpful and also a warm compress. So that's actually been shown to decrease the risk of severe tearing. So, you know, talking to your care provider ahead of time, even seeing what the options are, depending where you're planning to give birth, what the options are for a warm compress. Have they done it before? Would they be open to doing it? Um, those are uh, some really great options to help decrease or minimize tearing, as well as the, the different birth positions as well. Yeah, and what I might add in the show notes as well, I don't know if you've seen them. I think they're international. Maybe they're, no, they shouldn't, maybe they're just Australian. Uh, there's like relatively new OASI guidelines which talk about the warm compress and every pretty much everything that you've just said. But I'll throw those into the show notes. Um, and if I have any friends listening, they will be really angry with me for not actually remembering who's done them. <laughs> My brain is in many places right now. <sighs> Um, oh, thank you so much for your time. Cause I know that, um, you are extremely busy and December is just one of those months that is, um, a little bit insane. Well, thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm glad we finally got to connect and we were so excited to have you on the podcast. So this is fun to kind of, to flip sides. Yeah. I definitely like this side of the seat better. <laughs> All right. That's it, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Thank you once again to everyone who has supported the podcast, whether it is through liking it, subscribing it, sharing it, sharing it on social media, talking about it, becoming a patron, supporting it that way. If you aren't aware, there is a small patron program where you can financially support the podcast. I think it starts at one US dollar a month. You can cancel anytime. And I've been trying to put, um, little extra episodes out there where I'll either talk about a paper, some things that are going on in my head, little bits like um, recently I did one on ratings of perceived exertion and how we can use that in strength training and thinking about the pelvic floor. All of that is available through podbean.com. If you find the pelvic health podcast, there is a little button that you can then become a patron. Um, otherwise, thanks everyone for listening and I will see you next time.